0: Hello everyone, this is Jemiah Bennett, and welcome to Expect the Unexpected. This is a podcast created in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, and its aim is to help you, and me, get through this difficult time with shared stories and information from experts about self-care. Back in March, my university sent out an email saying that we'd be moving to online learning for the two weeks following spring break due to the COVID-19 pandemic. They strongly encouraged students who lived on campus to live off campus after spring break, during that two-week period. However, they did provide the option for students to apply to request to stay on campus if they needed to, but it wasn't guaranteed that they would be accepted and approved to stay. Then, during the week of spring break, we got an email that we would move to online learning for the rest of the semester. Once again, students were strongly encouraged not to return to campus to minimize the number of people that would be on campus and for the safety of the people who absolutely needed to stay there. They did extend the offer to apply for housing for those new conditions, however. But again, it wasn't promised that you would be approved to live on campus for the remainder of the semester. The idea of abruptly leaving campus can be frightening in and it itself. Not everyone has a home to go to, especially with such late notice. Not everyone is safe at home. There are so many reasons that this could go wrong for some students, and that is scary. Today I'm talking with Amber Smith, a senior at the University of Connecticut, about how she had to adjust to housing and job changes. I will also be talking with Sandra Chang, higher education professional, about how living and financial changes can impact students and what students can do about it.
1: UConn for me has very much been a home. Uh, it's not the same situation as some other students in which during breaks um, they go to like, their bedroom back in their parents' house. For me, I usually stay with friends over break or um, jump around different family members' houses. Or I usually work over breaks, like over winter break when I became an RA, I'd stay on campus. And then over summer breaks, usually i do some kind of program that provided housing.
0: Like Amber, many college students do not have a place to call home that they can go to during breaks or whenever school is not in session. To them, on-campus housing is their home, or the closest they can get to a home. Housing on campus is not just something that's fun to have a
1: full college experience, even though that's wonderful, for a lot of students, that's their only form of housing available
0: to them. So when the university requires or strongly encourages students not to return to campus as usual, students have to somehow find an alternative living plan while also continuing to do school. Because for me and for many other students,
1: not even just students who, you know, for instance, I'm from Connecticut, I'm from Hartford, Connecticut, born and raised. so I'm not from very far away, but just because of my particular circumstances, I don't really have a place to to go, it's not that my family doesn't love me or that my mom wouldn't want to, like, like, house me. Um, it's just that, like, circumstances, like, I just don't have a place to go. I have people I can stay with, but in a very temporary capacity, you know. So that was very stressful, not knowing whether or not, for a period of time, whether or not I'd be able to stay on campus or have a place to stay and trying to, like, make arrangements with other family members. So... For instance, I made an arrangement with my older brother that I would stay on his couch in exchange. I'd give him like free childcare because the Harper Public Schools are no longer going to be in session for the rest of the year. I could have been in a lot. I could have been in a really hard situation in which, yes, I I personally would have had some place to go. But once again, staying on someone's couch for like several months while you're trying to complete all your classes online and then also like watching their kids to try to help them out while you're staying with them for a while isn't
0: the most ideal like circumstances to be educated under. Now some schools recognize this and clearly took various situations into consideration when making decisions regarding housing to ensure that most of their students would be able to have a home somewhere. Dean of Students at UConn, Ellie Doherty, expressed this during the virtual town hall that UConn had on March 18, 2020, when she was answering a question regarding the possibility of international students remaining on campus
2: so one of the things that is so important for me to share with all of you that despite these changing times we need to be a home for students who can't go home and our international students are ONE OF THE BIGGEST EXAMPLES OF THAT. AND SO, OF COURSE, FOR INTERNATIONAL STUDENTS WHO DON'T HAVE A HOME THAT'S CLOSE TO UConn STORES, WE WILL OFFER YOU EXTENDED HOUSING ON CAMPUS. WE KNOW WHO YOU ARE BECAUSE YOU TOLD US. SO WHEN WE REACHED OUT TO YOU AND SAID, DO YOU WANT TO STAY ON CAMPUS DURING THE TIME THAT WE'RE OFFERING ONLINE LEARNING, THOSE ARE THE STUDENTS THAT WE KNOW OF AND THOSE ARE THE STUDENTS THAT WE WILL PROVIDE HOUSING TO THROUGH THE END OF THE SEMESTER. There are more students that we need to support beyond the international population. More students who ask to stay on campus beyond the international population. And all students will know the answer to that question later this afternoon around 3 p.m.
0: Just to clarify, Ellie was referring to the fact that UConn and its residential life offered the option for students to continue to live on campus if they had to. In order to do so, students who wanted to remain on campus needed to apply and be approved until the end of the semester. But applying did not guarantee housing, so students needed to wait for a response from residential life to ensure that they could stay. Amber went through this process herself.
1: I personally applied for extended housing, and luckily I got it. So I am grateful for that, and I'm grateful for the UConn having that be an option, where, for instance, in other institutions, they're not. They're just completely kicking students off with very, very short notice, and I, and I think that's deplorable, honestly, because that's just assuming... That's coming from a place of privilege that everywhere everyone has a place to go immediately, that people can just, you know, buy a plane ticket last minute. Like, the the fact that you can think you can even afford to, like, buy a plane ticket home on such a short notice that people have that money lying around or that their family members can pay that for them is, is terrible. You know, you have to give people way to get home if you're going to kick them out of their
3: housing or else you're just going to have a lot of students who are homeless and we don't want that either. Thousands of local university students are scrambling to pack up and move out of the dorms. San Diego State and the University of San Diego told most students they have 24 hours to vacate in an effort to fight the spread of the virus.
0: As an undergraduate, Sandra Chang studied sociology and human services at New Paltz State University of New York. For her master, she studied higher education administration at Stony Brook University. As a result, she understands why students may be upset about the decisions some schools are making, but she also understands that there are underlying reasons to why these decisions are being made.
3: From what I've been reading and observing throughout colleges and universities, like our federal and local governments are also taking this day by day, and they're making a lot of announcements that for a lot of college students seem like it's on a whim because they probably made an announcement previous to that like like a day before. So colleges and universities around the country are also grappling with trying to decide and figure out who should work from home and if we do have the resources to open that to students. You know, how can we best support these students if professional staff are working from home? I know for... This is gonna sound like very vague, but it honestly depends. It's situational, depending on the student Mm. and the college and the university and the state that it resides in. So I can, for example, I can talk about New York. We have like a SUNY system set up. SUNY SUNY colleges and universities, SUNY and CUNY colleges, through our federal government and our state government, um, that are funded resources. So, for example, Governor Cuomo can make all the calls with the SUNY chancellor about what SUNYs and CUNYs can do, but for other instances like private colleges, they're usually on their own with making whatever decisions they decide to do with closing the campus or not closing the campus. For instance, Harvard. And Harvard was, one I think, one of the first universities to decide to close it down. So it's all all situational. And then colleges and universities are also, when they do make decisions, they also say like, unless you have an actual emergency, like you have no place to go, you have to leave. And usually that like weaves out a lot of students that may, may have a home to live, but can't go back because of maybe their status as LGBTQ or identities with political ideologies, or it's just not a safe environment for them to live in. Or if their families, for example, have a poor immune system. For example, they might be battling cancer, or they might have pre-existing conditions that... If their child would come back home with, if even if they didn't have any symptoms or even slight symptoms, um, that could put their families at risk as well. And also, like elderly, if they're coming back home, to elderly things like that. Because a lot of our parents are also grandparents, so that's something to consider. But it it honestly depends on the situation um, and the colleges and universities.
0: We also have to keep in mind that schools are trying to make the best decision for the majority of people. It's really challenging for schools, especially those with thousands and thousands of students to make a decision that will positively impact every single student, employee, and anyone else affiliated with the school. That's not to say it's impossible, but it is challenging, and we have to recognize that. And they're trying to handle it in the best way they can, but once again, there's no really ideal way
1: to respond to this in a way that no one gets hurt or no one gets inconvenienced. That is frankly impossible, but I think that all institutions should really think about how their workers, their employees, their students are affected and try to
0: minimize as much of the collateral as they can while still keeping in mind everyone's health. That's something else to take into consideration. Amber just mentioned the effect of university decisions on their employees in addition to their students. There are a lot of people who are adult employees at universities, but there are also a lot of student employees at schools as well. And many times, university employment is the student's only source of income. So I, once again, am very um, grateful with the fact that as an RA, I will
1: continue to receive my RA stipend as scheduled until the end of the year, even though I will no longer be operating really in an RA capacity anymore. Um, I'm very grateful that I'll still be getting paid. That's something I was very concerned about because, once again, I am fine. I really rely on that money um, to pay for groceries and to pay my bills, you know, just you know, pay for my expenses and my necessities. Um, And if I lost that, then I would definitely have to get another job in these less than ideal circumstances, Um, maybe getting a job at like a grocery store or like whatever is open or whatever is hiring. And that, you know, once again, could have put my health at risk, you know, which I'm very, very grateful to all the retail workers and all the people that work in grocery stores that still have to go to work every day uh, I'm grateful for their service and, and their hard work because, and, you know, medical professionals, all these people that have to put themselves at risk
0: um, during this time, I'm very grateful to. Some of the people continuing to work and put themselves at risk are doing so because they have to, not necessarily because they want to. Many of them have partners, their parents, they have siblings, so they're not only risking their lives, but they're also risking the lives of those people that they live with and that they see every day that are part of their family. Some of these essential workers are also students who are still required to go to work because they are medical professionals in training, or because they work at a grocery store, or maybe they work on a family farm, just to name a few. But again, it isn't a matter of choosing to go into work for many people. It's a matter of sustaining a stable income in order to survive.
1: You know, because you need to eat, you need to pay for certain things, and if the money needs to come from somewhere, then you're going to try your best to find it, you know, and
0: that's just how people survive, and... So it's not a matter of necessarily having an option, you know. And sometimes it's also about helping their family survive as well. Many people are dealing with finding ways to keep a steady income when millions are now unemployed. At the time of this podcast recording, there are 6.6 million people who have filed for unemployment. Some of these people are students. Some of them are people who no longer have a home because their home was on campus and they can't stay there anymore. Some of these people are students who once had a campus job that are no longer operating because of the university closing. Some are also balancing a lot of obstacles while trying to help their loved ones in more ways than one. Here's Sandra, the college administrator.
3: And for in the reality, for, especially for a low-income and first-generation college students, like a lot of their income is also not just going to themselves, but also supporting their families. Right. And if their family isn't working, then like a lot of stuff goes on to them.
0: These are very, very demanding challenges for anyone to try to navigate and overcome, but both Amber and Sandra have advice on ways that students particularly can try to work their way through. Here's Amber, the UConn student. The number one thing is
1: to reach out for help and for support. I have been honestly blown away by how many people have been so supportive, not just like my, my friends, um, my professors. Now, not everyone's going to have this, which is really disappointing. Um, not everyone has those connections, but I guarantee that you can find someone during this time who is willing to give you the information, the encouragement that they can give you.
3: Unfortunately enough, a lot of colleges and universities and institutions are still continuing that workflow and providing those resources, as well as federal work-study and scholarships and grants and things like that. Some things have put into a home, but if in the event that for some reason all all things are not working and you cannot get paid really file for unemployment and really utilize government resources just know that it's probably going to be backed up because everybody and their mother is literally doing it right now (laughs) so that includes like filing for medicaid filing for food stamps filing for unemployment insurance these things are available to you the only thing is it just might be slowed down now because everyone is doing it so just really jumping the gun on that or if you know that for example like some colleges might be paying their students and saying, like, hey, you know, I can only pay you up until this date. So really prepare for that application and things like that and, and keep following up with that. If you are for to be eligible for food things like food stamps um, and whatever other government assistance programs, there might also be state assistance programs, and that depends on the state. So those I would definitely research and look into. But for things like food stamps and being on Medicaid, as long as you fit under... No income or very, very low income, which unfortunately a lot of our students are experiencing right now because of this whole halt, you are eligible for those resources. So please like take use of that. You are as eligible as anybody else is, if college students or not. So really utilize those and keep up to date with the applications and things like that. And also go looking into other community organizations that are also available throughout your city or throughout your state, those including like, food pantries and other organizations that are providing resources and studios and things like
0: that. And something similar goes for advocating for housing and academic accommodations.
3: What students can do for the time being is just try to meet with colleges and universities in the middle. So, because they're, colleges and universities, I'm sure they're swamped with whatever news and information they're going about, and they're trying to decide what to do in that sort of situation. And whatever announcement they get, to just calmly talk to their administration I talk to whoever they can talk to within their college and university to better advocate for them, stay on campuses and things like that. A lot of students that once they have found these, these news, they've rallied and they've created like petitions on change.org and moved together and got like 300 signatures to realize the impactful decisions that colleges and universities make. I think it's helpful for students to keep in mind that as much voice, and authority that colleges have about making these decisions and they're they're all good decisions because at the end of the day they have to make sure that what they're deciding is for the whole campus not just for one singular person the more they advocate and the more they realize as like colleges and universities are making decisions it will open up the eyes of the administrators and things like that constantly to have to advocate for themselves and talk to people maybe not just administrators but also People like, for example, in educational opportunity programs, people in financial aid, people in, like, those different resources. And don't just speak to one person. You have to speak to multiple people who also have a say in, like, how this is going to pan out.
0: Amber has also found that advocating for herself to multiple people has been very beneficial in terms of housing and her school. So if it's housing and you're at a university, reach out to someone who responsible in that
1: institution whether it's like res life housing whatever that institution may be called reach out a lot of them are willing to send you information send you guidance or to let you know when information might be available like oh you can you'll find that out at the end of the week even that even like knowing that information will be coming is for me at least very comforting So when it comes to your grades, your academics, don't be afraid to reach out, ask for help, ask for support. Is online classes difficult for you? Reach out to your professor, let them know your troubles, let them know what you're going through. And I, for instance, I got an extension on like my midterm exam. I got an extension on some, because it was a very stressful time. I didn't know if I was going to have housing in a month. So I was really focusing on that as my priority, but classes were still going on. You know, I still had things to do, and I was just very honest about, like, my capacity, and that it was beyond my capacity to focus fully on my academics, while also worrying if I'm going to have a roof over my head, Mm -hmm. and so I just, I I was honest with myself, and I was honest with others that it was beyond my capacity, and that's okay, as long, I think, as long as you're honest and upfront, most of the time, you will, you you will gain something from it. Now, that's not all the time, like, one of the professors, for instance, was like, no, Straight up, like the deadline is the deadline. You hand it in late, you hand it in late. So I handed it in late, and that was fine too. You know, sometimes you, you take a little dent in the grade for your mental and physical well being, and that's
3: okay too because
1: academics are not everything.
3: If there's anything that has proven the power of your voice, it is this pandemic. So, I would advise all students and everybody out there if you can vote to register to vote. You have nothing to do now, so there's absolutely no excuse to register to vote. You can do that online or via by mail and do that because what is going on right now is just it just shows the impacts that it's creating. It's a whole domino effect and it starts from the top. So, if, for example, the people in the top are unsure with what to do during this pandemic or responding, like they should be, it all falls down to state governments and then it falls down to local governments and thus colleges and universities. Everything is a domino effect and it's a trifecta. So really u- utilizing the signs to exercise your right to vote and researching who is up for an election in your state and in your counties. Because a lot of people just think that, yeah, it's all about the presidential election. But at the end of the day, as what we've realized Right now, at the end of the day, if the federal government cannot support us, it is unfortunately up to the state government to support us and support the vulnerable populations that need to be supported. So all these elections do matter. So while, I, you know, on the bright side, we do have something to do during the pandemic and it it's to register and to research local elections that are happening and see what we can do to continue to fight this process.
1: We will get through this. These times may be difficult, And when you're in the middle of a really intense, difficult situation, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there always is one. With every low, there is a
0: high, and there will be something better coming. Well, that's all for today. For those who may be experiencing difficulties with housing, income, and academics, please practice using your voice to advocate for yourself. Reach out to people, many people, in an effort to get the resources you need. Be resilient, my friends. And if you're not experiencing those difficulties, I encourage you to be considerate of those who are. Consider reaching out to those who might be. They might not need or want your help, but checking in with them likely won't cause harm. This is a new experience for all of us. And like we talked about in episodes one and two, we will get through it together by supporting each other and building those relationships. In the next episode, Jasmine Merriweather, a junior at Belmont University and social media influencer by the name of Stay Classy by Jazzy, And Sarah Gaines, fitness guru and social media influencer, as well as self-care professional, talk about the challenges of navigating social media while creating a community during times of uncertainty. I'm your host, Jemiah Bennett, and you just listened to Expect the Unexpected.